Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Plastics Podcast, a podcast where three American wankers try to figure out how to work around international sanctions. Can we partake in the process of state disruption? We are 30, flirty, and thriving. You're joined by Blair LaCrosse. Hello. Maddie Gaylor. Hello. And myself, Jacob Burke. An action-packed English weekend sees Brentford buzz by Burnley. Ronaldo rears his manicured head against a typical Tottenham. Leeds almost let Norwich knock one home. And Arsenal keep on trucking. All this and more on Chelsea Football Club. Welcome to the Thunderdome. No, no. Well, it's... uh, it's a weekend of Premier League soccer, but more importantly, it's Bracketology weekend. That's true. It's, it's big. March Madness is upon us. Bracketology weekend? The picks are locked. The teams are set. It is time to choose your champion. Mm-hmm. Time to set your bracket for the March Madness tournament, Maddie. One billion dollars on the yet, line. Is it? it is set. It oh, I go- thought it was like during the week. Okay. There will be, well, there's still, I think, some tournament games playing right now. So they'll decide some seating. Probably, I think, the Big Ten tournament finals on right now. It's at halftime. Iowa's up three against Purdue. But it'll be set tonight. It is time for everyone around the world to now become experts on college basketball. The most consistent sport there is. Well, Blair and I are now experts on college basketball. Yeah, where'd you guys go last night? We, we watched a barn burner of a match, <laughs> Creighton versus, uh, I almost just said Aston Villa, Villanova, not Villarreal, Villanova. A barn burner of a game, man. Oh my God. These Half-time, aren't matches, they're games. 1916? Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was in the low 20s, I think. I think it was like Holy 21 to 23. Cow. It was... Painful. That is so weird. In my head, Villanova is always a uh, like a one or a two seed. They finally got hot at the end, and that's kind of what separated the two teams. But okay. yeah, nobody could buy a shot. It was pretty funny. By getting hot, he means one person made like three threes in a row. That was the extent of being hot. Yeah. Um, can I just firing from the hip here? Uh, can I get a March Madness uh, tournament champion from both of you? Oh, no no knowledge. Up. They're not in the, they're not <laughs> in the tournament this year. I'm going to go with Duke because I know that they're in the tournament. Okay. And I know that they're a good team. Hey, write what you know. Uh, firing from the hip, I'm going to just pick a name. Texas Tech. Nice. That is, TT. I could, that could not be more wrong. Don't know anything could about them. More wrong. <laughs> I just know they play basketball. Jacob? I'm going to go for my Long Island State boys. Mm, yep. That's a good pick. Yep. I think they're like a 14 or a 15 seed. <laughs> no, right, that's, that's, right, a, that's right. a sweet Solid. spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right where you want to be, really. Anything lower uh, and you're 16 and you can't go lower and anything yeah. higher, well, you're just mainstream. Yeah. yeah. No, Maddie, you were right. It was 18 to 19 at the half. Yeah. It, <laughs> that is incredible. We also like couldn't see the scoreboard um, in our seats. 
and we were surrounded by like I want to say twenty-one-year-old Villanova students. Yeah, who makes a lot of sense. Who acted like they were like at a college reunion party and hadn't seen each other in weeks. It was a mixer. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they're doing the frat party tours afterwards to see which one they vibe the most with. Where where are they based out of? They're outside of Philadelphia. It's okay. a private school. Okay, so maybe that might be why. Creighton so is from Nebraska. Omaha. I thought Creighton was California. Nope. Nebraska. Ooh. We oh. had fresh popcorn Creighton from Nebraska. from Nebraska? Yeah. <laughs> I could have. Okay, that's wild. Okay, so way more Villanova fans, obviously. Yeah, it was yeah. a heavy Villanova influence for sure in the crowd. Okay. And once they sort of just started to separate, you could hear it was getting louder for sure. But was there sad. were some Creighton fans around, you know? There was three directly behind us. And man, for that 30 seconds where they led by four points, yeah. they thrived they were happy. in that moment. Yeah. Uh, you said it was a crazy atmosphere? It wasn't really a crazy atmosphere. Well, you, you said it was a crazy atmosphere. Because speaking of crazy atmospheres. Oh my gosh, Jacob, You crazy might atmosphere? hear a new pep in our step, a new vibrance to our voice. Uh, we're in a new studio setup. I have rearranged my bedroom. Same, same, <laughs> same room. <laughs> new studio setup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I rearranged my bedroom to better accommodate uh, our table and our members because it, it's a bit, it was a bit squeezy uh, the way we had it before. And now... I think we have a, like a couple of feet more room uh, to do what we need. And we can walk in and out of my room. That's true. Uh, That's nice. And so you'll see it if you're watching it on YouTube or uh, in our Instagram reels. This one goes out to you guys. The and real heads. Yeah. <laughs> the, re the real podcast heads. The real plastic heads. I hope this uh, is more conducive to a more uh, active and uh, engaging environment. <laughs> I'm, I'm the uh, head of a uh, company culture here. Uh, oh, God. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys have been getting it's my really daily. toxic work environment. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of rumors and uh, bad uh, employees floating around. So I've been trying to keep it up with the newsletter. Who's the HR department? Because I've I've got a few complaints to file. Uh, you can take it up with me. Oh uh, God! Are the complaints about him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll no confidentiality <laughs> in this HR department. Absolutely not. We'll we'll have a meeting afterwards. How about that? Okay. A little one-on-one -on -one talk. It's okay. <laughs> And so what Are did this employee do to disturb you? <laughs> well, what did he do, though? And who was the employee? No, I, I get it. I get it. He taunted you with the Lester loss, but what did he do? <laughs> okay, uh, March. So you'll probably hear more about March Madness because this is a soccer podcast, but it's an American soccer podcast. Uh, in my opinion, one of, if not the greatest sporting event in the world, in, wow. in the sheer chaos it brings to the table, you get uh, the World Cup is probably the only one you could reasonably argue with. Um, but March Madness happens every year, and it's not as culturally significant, in my opinion, but it offers way more pure mystery. You don't know who's going to win. Yes. You have beautiful. no idea what's happening, it's and that is all the fun of it. Pure sporting. And everyone tries their hardest to create this bracket, which famously has more different possibilities than there are uh, atoms in the universe, I think. <laughs> so it's just, it's just impossible. It's always changing and it's always exciting because it's college basketball and the people are more like you and I playing the sport as much as you could be in a nationally televised uh, stage. That yeah. being said, I will have a perfect bracket this year. Yeah, no, this one's the year. I, I can feel it. Three perfect brackets in the room. Yeah. I will preface the following matches by saying I watched all of these <laughs> quite sleep deprived. So 
I believe Maddie and Blair will have the most intelligent commentary on these. Let's kick it off. Brentford 2, Burnley nil at the Brentford Community Stadium. Burnley is threatened with relegation, heading to the Brentford the Brentford Bees, in a search of a crucial three points needed for their attempt to regain safety, but come away with nothing. Nothing. <laughs> they close the weekend sitting 19th, one point from safety. Thoughts, Blair and Maddie? Big game. Huge game. Maddie, why did you want to watch this game so badly? <sighs> what, in your unbiased opinion? Oh, <laughs> there is no unbiased opinion on this game. And I, it's, it's, it's the same thing that you guys say when you watch Chelsea. I want one of these players to do really well, but I really don't care about the team. I you just want... wanted Brentford to lose. No. Oh, okay. Because that would be bad for this one player. Uh, sorry, you keep saying this one player, but I, I'm not hearing a name. <laughs> he he was a headline name in an Athletics article today. Christian Eriksen with his second start for the Brentford Bees. Second start. Second start. Third second. third game played, second start. He started last week. He had the most completed mm-hmm. passes and touches of the entire team. What's his favorite ice cream? It is mint chocolate chip. Is it actually? I have no okay. idea. I was, <laughs> that was actually very good. I was <laughs> convinced that, that very confidently. Yeah. So you, you watch this game paying special attention to Christian Erickson. I mean, how could you not? First but, of all. Um, you don't sleep that night. so. Oh, okay. But go on, sorry. For people that were awake. Yeah. He is the main focal point of Brentford's attack. And sorry, I'm going to can you can you break that down for me? Uh Christian Eriksen is the main focal point of Brentford's attack at his second starting match. Yeah. Brentford were on a losing streak. They weren't doing well for like, you know, six or seven games. They yeah. they had not won in a while. They were in a slump. They signed Eriksen. Obviously, it took him a while to like, you know, file into the team and get um, you know, settled. And then he played one game, but it was against Newcastle, and they had one player up because uh, Brentford had a red card in, like, the 13th minute. Okay. Obviously, you're probably not going to win that game. But his first two games that he started have been miles better on the attack than their previous previous games. Yeah, so for context here... Looks like starting in a run from late December, I suppose. They were losing. They were losing on a pretty bad clip. So they had a one. They had a win against Aston Villa, January second. They won two to one. Then they lost to Southampton, Liverpool, Man United, Wolves, Everton, Man City. They drew the Crystal Palace, lost to Arsenal, lost to Newcastle, and then finally got the win against Brentford. Uh, I'm sorry, against Norwich, three to one. Uh, which is a good goal tally for them. And then back that up with a second consecutive win, which I believe is their first streak of two wins in the Premier League by beating Burnley 2-0. And yeah, I would say Christian Eriksen was an important, probably the most important player in their sort of hub for their attack. I don't know about the focal point, but he was the one that kind of made it go. He wasn't the one that they were trying to get the ball in the end to, but he was the one giving the ball to the person that needed it to finish. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, he was he was certainly a key for them. I mean, the he I think added a lot of sort of a calm presence in the midfield for them. This game was really sloppy, and it was like you know that meme where it's like 
you know, like the defensive third, you know, you do stuff here and then in the middle midfield, something happens and then you go to the attacking third. That was like that. I mean, it just like went into the ball, went into the midfield and then it just like disappeared. You don't, don't really know what's happening. And really both teams struggled with stringing together many passes. I think they both had in the high 60 percentages for completion. And I think, you know, in the end, Erickson um, on the ball was, you know, the best that Brentford had. Um, and had a, had a nice assist. So, yeah, he was really, really important. And it's uh, it's nice that Maddie's such a big Erickson fan because it kind of draws your eye to him anyway, you know? So now it's like, oh, hey, this guy was actually very important in this game. And also we were going to watch him because Maddie wanted to really badly. <laughs> yeah, we can pay attention to other parts of the game and let Maddie zero in on Christian Erickson. <laughs> <laughs> so so when I think when Jacob watches Chelsea... He'll celebrate when, uh, when Pulisic does something, right? Yeah. But you seem to be just rooting for Brentford outright. <laughs> I did at one point yeah. say, "Oh, we just did yeah, this." Yeah. Jacob looks at me. I mean, yeah. Brentford just your your ownership of teams uh, <laughs> continues to baffle my mind. It's all over the place. I love it. <laughs> it's like. Um, this is not meant at all as a negative comparison. Oh boy! All right, this but is it's gonna meant hurt. that it, in kind of the same way that uh, the college we all went to just kind of accepted everyone. <laughs> you yeah, just real like, rigorous process there. <laughs> come one, come all, players and teams. Thomas Frank. Oh, you poor thing. Please, I will read an article about you eating pizza. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He ate pizza at the post conference because he. Was celebrating yeah. his win. Yeah. Oh my God! What a slay moment, uh, Thomas Frank. <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> if you were uh, like a college admissions officer and you were reading someone's statement of purpose for a college, be, each and every one would be like, oh, "I mean, I get it. Like, it was only three sentences, but y- you can see why it means so much to him. He has to go to college." <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that, yeah, that's me. Yep. Hi. <laughs> but that's a good thing because uh, you know uh, soccer games in. Regardless of the things that happening around them, it's just like a giant story for each team, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're invested in the story like you are with Brentford, it's very heartwarming because this is their first foray into the Premier League in some, some, some time. Uh, sorry, top flight, never the Premier League. And this is this was a huge win for them because now this is giving them an enormous leg in staying up and giving them a season of survival, which is not taken lightly, especially if you're a team like uh norwich or watford or at this point leeds so very uh very big win for them in the impressions here i see in number three in parentheses i'm just going to read it word for word ivan tony has a really high sofa score uh sofa score is a soccer or a sports app that you can use for uh, data tracking Uh, ivan tony has a really high sofa score but i thought him and mbuemo didn't really have that amazing of a game and the two goals were off really lucky penalty kicks or one good cross. Uh, They struggled to find passes in the final third. Maddie, uh, Ivan Tony is the current record holder uh, last season for the goals and assists Mm -hmm. in the championship. And Mbuemo plays off of him pretty spectacularly. Uh, Theoretically, I would have thought that the installment of Christian Eriksen would have improved both of their performances, but your statement here seems to disagree. So what were you noticing that gave this pair a, uh, a a disjointed performance. 
I think he is helping with their performance, but today especially, they didn't seem to find feet. They didn't seem to accurately pass. There was chaos in the box whenever they got it. The Christian Eriksen cross and his like subsequent before and after crosses were all really accurate and would find people really nicely. But Mbwemo would get the ball, and he he's not panicking because he knows what to do, but he would try and get a shot off and it wouldn't even go anywhere near the net. Okay. And there was no passing. Yeah. There was, it was Ivan, Tony got two goals, but the PK, it, it wasn't, the foul wasn't on him. He just took the shot because he's a good PK taker. And the cross, ev- I, everybody is not talking about the finish. They're talking about the beautiful cross okay. <laughs> that was sent in. Everybody in this room named Maddie. No, like all the articles and <laughs> everything the, I've read. The, the Brentford newsletter I'm subscribed to is <laughs> talking about the cross. The email that was sent out. Like Thomas Frank, when I called him, was talking about the cross. <laughs> he had okay. a mouthful of pizza. <laughs> he got player of the match that game, and Ivan Tony had both of the goals, but it just speaks to how much they are being fed and not how much they are finding the accurate passes in the final third, which I think is really important. Do you think Brentford are over or underperforming their XG right now? I I don't know. I'm looking this up as we speak. I'm going to go with over. They are underperforming. Um, Yeah, I mean, given the position of the table, that sort of makes sense. They're three goals underperforming. So I think... uh, think, So... Ivan Tony is this. Is he's a he's he's a he's a bit of a hybrid of a poacher and a target man. I think he holds up play really well, and that's why him and Mbwemo work so well off each other because Mbwemo isn't purely an attacking midfielder. He he plays in this dual role with Ivan Tony, and so when you get this uh, disjointed. Uh, performance that Brentford's had for the past January ten matches or something, it it creates a unreliable source of feeding to which you can then take opportunities for Mbwemo or Tony to score goals. So I think as someone who's only watched like five or six matches of Brentford this season, they just can't find a consistent source of goal creation because you saw Brentford, they were able to get it into the final third, but they couldn't really break in to get a clear shot. It was always blocked or the shots were just awful. So I think if they can create those chances and as we've said, and as I'm sure you'll agree with, uh, with Christian Eriksen <laughs> starting, those chances will now come more regularly, and you'll probably see more goals being scored, and they may, may start racking up the XG. And more calmly. There's just something about him no. when he plays. I love the freneticness of it. I know, but you know, you want to see those beautiful sweeping crosses with like the really nice yeah, finishing. But how many players can do that? May, like, Christian uh, the old, freaking Yeah, but like him Eriksen. and like... Harry Kane are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head in the Premier League. And I and you can't expect that from a team that is supposed to be the set piece team. So it's I I mean I'm excited for Christian Eriksen. Big sweeping yeah. crosses. Is that what you're saying? They can do that in the Premier League? Yeah. <laughs> That's it? No, well you no can't I can't think of one more. <laughs> Tiago, maybe. One more? <laughs> Not Trent? Oh, no, well, Trent, oh. I'm talking like, in my mind, it was like forward players? halfway line <laughs> to corner. Okay, 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 sure. Trent, Trent's a, Trent's a bullet, right? Trent, Trent, Trent is, who's, I don't know the actor, but the guy from Wanted where he like, where he throws his pistol and it curves the bullet. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, maybe? No, it was Angelina Jolie and the... I don't, I don't know him from anything else. It was um, James McAvoy, yeah. Was it James McAvoy? Mm-hmm. We're going to close with... I'm seeing the uh, under questions. Uh, Blair's special question for Jacob, so I, I really don't know what this is, so please, please lay it on me. All right, Jacob. Yeah. We've watched Burnley now two consecutive weeks, uh-huh. which is a record for it us. It is. It's, it's something we're very proud of. Which means we retreated to another Dwight McNeil showing. Uh, yeah. On the scale of Dwight's, where would you put him on the, shro- <laughs> on the Schrute Eisenhower scale? <laughs> right, here's the thing. I don't know which direction is which. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seems more vertical than horizontal to me. Yeah, it might be diagonal. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, well, let's let's quick compare the extremes of both. Uh, let's look at Dwight Schrute's qualities. Cold, uh, calculating, <laughs> uh, not very imaginative, and maybe a sociopath? Probably. Yeah, would you agree? That okay. might fit for both of them, honestly. I don't Light, know. <laughs> later, let's, let's consider Dwight Eisenhower, former president, military general. This makes me realize I don't know anything about Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of three Dwights outside of McNeil, and that's why I did the Shrewd Eisenhower scale. Dwight. Dwight Howard is the only one Dwight I got. Howard. <laughs> yeah. Who names their kid Dwight these I days? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I would say that Dwight McNeil couldn't be further from either of them. <laughs> so he's 22 mm-hmm. right and he's not he's not a uh, a salesman working at a paper office in pennsylvania but nor is he a policy elite that uh, flirts with both the uh, civilian and military higher-ups of the country so if i had to pick one if i had to say which way he leans i would probably say shrewd yeah, I think he's a shrewd in this game. Yeah. Pretty poor performance. Um, because if I had to give one image to Burnley as a team, it would be a beet farm. Ooh. They're purple. That's interesting. Nobody really eats beets, and yet they still seem to exist. Mm-hmm. Candied um, beets are good. Don't. You would. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, Dwight McNeil, in the two games we've watched him, has performed horribly. I'm, I'm not going to cut corners here. And he and yet, and yet he's basically started every game for the past two or three years. So, uh, former Manchester United Academy product, as I looked up, and now Burnley uh, Academy and Burnley starter. Uh, Burn, a, a Burnley boy now. Uh, even though his childhood club was Manchester United, according to his Wikipedia article. Dwight, you're only 22, so I'm not going to give you too much crap. May I correct the record on something? I believe Tony did win the penalty. He was the one fouled in the box. Was he? Yeah. I'm sorry. By Collins, who kind of threw an arm bar into him. Tony had two moments in the game, basically. I wasn't going to correct Maddie on her team. That's true. God. <laughs> okay, let's move on. This uh, is an Old Trafford special. Manchester United three, the Tottenham Hotspur a two. A Manchester United team rife with discord looks to defend home field against fellow top four contender Tottenham. The most neutral summary I could have written. If, I don't know who wrote that one. Uh, Blair, I think if you were trying to take out the spite against Tottenham from this, you did very well. So this one, this game is really only central to one thing and one thing only. We're going to play one song, one song only. But also hard Cristiano Ronaldo. That's it. That's that was really good. <laughs> Let's talk about Ronaldo. Do we have to? 
Yes, Ugh. I'm sorry. The uh, Manchester three, Manchester United three, Tottenham two. When I when I say Manchester United three, we really mean Cristiano Ronaldo three. Yeah, uh, Harry Maguire one, Tottenham one. <laughs> Harry Maguire plus Tottenham two. <laughs> the the all the summaries of the game say Cristiano Ronaldo comma Manchester United <laughs> <laughs> score three in the. A, yeah, it's like the last name first. United, comma, Cristiano. <laughs> Cristiano United. Let's see. I have in here written under players. I mean, Ronaldo had a hat trick, but fuck him. <laughs> wow. I think the second oldest hat trick in Premier League club history, uh, with Ronaldo being number two. I couldn't tell you who's number one. Uh, he has now passed Bacon for an old player for all-time club goals, uh, club and country goals scored at 807. Something like that? I believe that's the right number. An incredible stat from a unquestionably incredible player who seems to continue to dominate the media and thus this podcast. And we have to talk about it because he scored an absolute banger of a goal for the first goal of the game. Tottenham respond. Then Cristiano Ronaldo scores a tap-in. Then Maguire responds, I think. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Maguire responds. <laughs> Not <Okay>. so fast. <laughs> you thought. And then uh, Ronaldo scores a header. A, the, the, um, some might say the perfect hat trip. Banger tap and header from Ronaldo. Uh, featuring, showcasing all parts of his game. And, and uh, his body. And his bot. <laughs> my body um i see i have a stat for you jacob i would love to hear this stat with cristiano ronaldo's early goal in the game gave him 100 goals in the first 15 minutes of the game which means he's now scored 100 plus goals in all six 15 minute segments of soccer games in his professional career now here's a question yeah which 15 minute segment last one Great, he he got it. Yeah. <laughs> in the seventy sixth to the ninetieth minute, he has scored one hundred ninety two career goals. That's insane. That that actually is insane, though. Yeah. Um, that's like that is that's clutch time. That's yeah. so clutch. I'm trying to think of another player that does this. Jamie Vardy. I was thinking of Sergio Ramos with his headers at Madrid. He did that all the time. Jamie Vardy's another one. Uh, chat shit, get banged. Jamie Vardy. Uh, um, yeah, so honestly, I think it the, it's one of those qualities, like clutch time plays, that you literally cannot define. It's either someone has it or they don't. Yes. And Ronaldo just has it, uh, as he seems to have with every stupid offensive aspect as a forward. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know how he hits that first goal where he's like a thousand miles from the net and he just... Just like, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm doing me. But if you watch him on any free kick chance, yeah, you just, just no. can't even get it close to the goal. Here's my grumpy old man take. Okay. Uh, that shouldn't have gone in. Yeah, uh, for sure. In a thousand shots, maybe 20 of them go in. Yeah. And that just happened to be one of the 20. And so everyone's going to go crazy and say he's the best shooter ever, even yeah. though that isn't, that isn't a shot you should take. No, it's absolutely not. It's something that you just, he, maybe he was at this point in his United State, his second United stint where he's just, you know, like, we're not staying, we're not going to make top four anyway. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. And it worked. And then everyone got, uh, all jazzed about it because it, I mean, it's, it's a crazy goal. It is a crazy goal. 
It's like how LeBron's close to the scoring record, so he's just trying to go for 50 every night. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this isn't about us anymore. This is about me. Yeah, career accolades. That's what I'm going for now. Yeah, I mean, he's got nothing left to prove. He's won the Euros with Portugal, something that was surprising at the time, and now all he's got to do really is the World Cup, which is looking unlikely now. But um, maybe it'll be the same thing. He's just playing until his son gets in the league, and he'll just go wherever. uh, (laughs) Does he have a son? He's got like five of them. Uh, Maddie, do you want to <laughs> do you want to read your stat to Jacob? Because I thought this one was pretty special. Yeah, Jacob. So, who do you think has scored the most goals for Tottenham in this season at all competitions? It can't be Harry Kane. It would be pretty damning if it was Harry Kane. The most goals. I'm gonna say it's not Son. Otherwise, this stat wouldn't be special. If it's Dijon Kulishevsky, I'm gonna flip. <laughs> it's not. It's okay. not. You've said his name. He scored 21 goals. I like in my life I've said his name. No, just now. It's Son. No, it's Kane. Kane. This season in all competitions, Harry Kane has scored twenty-one goals. Oh, what? Second place with twelve is. Oh jeez, is it Son? It is. It, they are the most successful Premiership duo. Yeah, they're quite good strike yeah. team. Now, the third one might surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> who? Who has scored? The third most goals for Tottenham in all competitions with nine goals. Um, oh, is it Emerson Royale? Um, <laughs> He's never going to guess this. <laughs> for, for Tottenham? Oh, no. Is it Harry Maguire? <laughs> <laughs> it is own goals. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's they have insane. Had nine own goals scored for Is it them. the most of any team? How much is that like a That's normal a great amount? Question. <laughs> That's how, a great question. How do we even look that up? I don't know. You're the stats man. You can see how many own goals a team has scored. So Everton lead the league in own goals, but with four. Okay. And then it's United. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how all many? of them how by many? with three. <laughs> all of them by Harry Maguire. They might, they might be, be all actually Harry Maguire. All of them yeah. by Harry Maguire. Okay, but let's not because Manchester United, as since they're United, get talked about so much. Let's uh, focus a bit on Tottenham here. Yeah, they call Old Trafford, Jacob, the theater of dreams. But with this meek defensive performance, this turned into more nightmares. That's right, folks. We're talking about dreams and nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) I have a question. That was rough. Sorry, guys. What was going on with Sun during this game? Yeah. He could not stay on his feet. So Sun is a very likable player. Um, but when things don't go his way, he becomes very whiny, uh, and that kind of tumbles into, and it's kind of a encapsulation of Tottenham as a whole, a giant like mentality snowball. And so (laughs) when they're having an off day, you can, you just really see it. Um, and son just wasn't having a good day. Um, I have no idea who scored the second goal. So McGuire, I mean, I'm sorry. The first, (laughs) it was, it was while our Wi-Fi was out. I yeah. will give you that. It was a Kane penalty for the first goal. Kane got a penalty. Off okay. of the Alex you know Tellis who... handball. Right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, so the scoreline was 3-2, to two, folks. Yeah. Maybe we didn't mention that. No, we did. Okay, let's move on to the question for either one of you to tackle. United did just enough to keep Spurs' counterattack at bay. Varane, Maguire, center-back duo this game, and Matic stepping in as a bit of a central midfield, uh, defensive central midfielder, even a tertiary uh center back alongside uh, the mover, the ball mover, Fred. Um, These four, uh, I don't think paired 
has been paired this season yet. So Varane, Maguire, center back, Matich, Fred, uh, double pivot. Were these selections the difference maker? I thought Fred was pretty good. That's what I'll say. I thought Matich like did a decent job, but there were obvious moments in the game where it was like, oh boy, uh, he's looking every bit of his uh, 33 years of age. He just doesn't, like he just got like uh, really cheesy ankles. They do not look... Um, they did not look uh, light and yeah. fluttery like you might want. <laughs> um, cheesy ankles? Yeah. He, it looks like if he were to get crossed over by anybody with any kind of basketball acumen, his ankles would be broken immediately. What if, what if they were um, cured Parmesan? I mean, they'd probably taste pretty good. All right. <laughs> That's fair. Um, okay. But yeah, I think I think largely they did, did pretty well. And, you know, McGuire, the uncle stuff is hilarious. He was, you know, kind of trying to slide to block the cross pass. Romero was going to be offsides anyway. Uh, oh, so, God. you know, it was just a really unfortunate development for uh, for United. And then Romero kind of ducked down and got in his face and sort of yelled at him after he scored his own goal. So Maguire, I think, might have reached the gloomy depths of rock bottom at that moment. He and- is... It, it's to I I will give it. He's in a tough spot right now, and it's really hard to keep your head up during these kinds of things. Even like the win came at a cost to his personal stock, so it's tough. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the day, like they concede two goals, one off of a penalty that's given for the Alex Tellis handball, which I mean, obviously it's just like a poor fundamentals thing. You don't want your hands in bad spots like that. Um, but you know, it's like one of those things where it's not like necessarily like a defensive lapse. It's just more like a mental lapse, I guess. And then, the, then the own goal. So like, you know, Tottenham, uh, certainly benefited from some defensive lapses, um, from United. But I think that group is like generally like pretty, pretty okay for what, to- or for what United want them to do. Okay. And I thought Fred looked pretty good. I mean, he was, he was venturing forward. You know, he was obviously part of the first Ronaldo goal. I don't, I think an assist for him is pretty generous given where the pass came from, but it was a nice little dink around the corner for Ronaldo. And uh, there's, um, there's a scene, a scene, there's a play back yeah. 2012, maybe 2011 Barcelona. And Messi is dribbling up the field in the, first third mm-hmm. he gets to Sergio Busquets and Sergio Busquets stops it and just like he touches the ball to stop it and then he leaves it and then Messi picks it back up and dribbles from his half of the field all the way to goal and shoots it and that's kind of what it felt like a Sergio Busquets assist uh-huh. Fred and, and Sergio uh, and Busquets and a, pretty Fred similar <laughs> in the same vein like just two absolutely incredible plays that technically count for an assist yeah. And I mean, it really seemed like f- what they were using Fred for was to be kind of the first point of defense sort of higher up the pitch. Whenever Spurs were turning, trying to turn that counter, it seemed like he was just trying to blanket whoever had the ball to disrupt that first pass so they couldn't get the outlet so quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Spurs, I think, had the better attacking day and it was mostly just some... Um, you know, a couple of moments of brilliance. Maddich had a great pass forward to Sancho uh, on the, the second Ronaldo goal. Um, Sancho made a nice run behind the line. You know, Spurs had a woeful uh, defensive error there. Nobody tracks Sancho. And it's just an easy one-two um, between Sancho and Ronaldo for the goal. But yeah, I mean, I think going forward, you know, Tottenham looked pretty good. I'll, I'll say that. And I don't know. It's... It's, it's sort of hard to read this game and to interpret what they're going to be 
the defensive group for United is going to look like going forward, but I think this is probably what they'll look like. I would like to add that I think Tottenham were the better team. Yeah, I agree. I think that, in the, the, as the question states, Vrain McGuire and Fred Matic were not the difference makers. They didn't do a lot collectively. In fact, you might argue that Ronaldo did more than the four players that we've listed. Um, I will read off to you some stats in terms of expected goals uh, in this game. Ronaldo leads with 0.84 XG oh. off of three goals. My God. Uh, the first one was probably like 0. 0.01, yeah. 0.0001. <laughs> um, in terms of order, Harry Kane is next. Eric Deer is next after <laughs> Harry Kane. Son, Benteker, Hoiberg, and then Matt Doherty. Then Jaden Sancho. That, that's quite a gap from contributions. Um, in terms of total shots, it's Ronaldo, Hoiberg, Kane, Son, Deer, Benteker. Uh, wow. Accurate passes. Hoiberg, Romero, Deer, Davies, Benteker, Raphael Varane. United had 10 shots. Ronaldo had eight of them. Um, it's just a clear the midfield for Tottenham is superior Uh, I think I agree with Blair Fred had a great game um, but his function is not to become a playmaker or to facilitate in attacking play he shouldn't have to do that his uh, his point is to help transition the ball between defensive lines and he did that he had four key passes I mean, excuse me, three key passes and four successful dribbles, which is a very good stat um, from someone who, in looking at the game, was doing multiple things. He was playing this Swiss Army knife. He had to both help attack because there were some moments when he was like on the front line, like, and he was like moving with Ronaldo, and it just looked weird. And uh, there were moments when he was helping with the the back line. And so I think that uh, Fred obviously earns the start here, uh, in my opinion. Um, Varane did well. Maguire uh, should have been changed out for Lindelof. Lindelof was, I think, absent. No, when was the break in at his house? I hadn't heard that. Okay. Well, Lindelof had some personal reasons to be absent from Manchester United for some time. I think this might have he been the game. He was back, though. He got subbed in in the 83rd minute for this okay. game. Um, and I hope that... You, uh, it, I mean, if I were a Manchester United fan, I hope that they solve this double pivot issue. I don't think that is the problem anymore. I think it's now McTominay, so we now need to find someone to pair well with him. Obviously, in this case, it was Paul Pogba. I'm sorry. Bald Pogba. And uh, that seemed to work this game. Yeah. Also, I think a key stat here is that Tottenham had five shots blocked, which I think, like, if you were to look at United's defending, it didn't look great, but, like, the effort was there, which is, like, you know, I mean, let's do with that what you will. It's, it's, you know, you would expect that, but they were at least closing down shooters and... You know, Spurs were getting into uh, pretty dangerous spots, so those those black shots ended up being uh, very key for them to keep that one goal lead. This was an ideal string of results this weekend, Blair, for you. Yes. Uh, Man United to be uh, Tottenham, and obviously you want to see Spurs lose as an Arsenal fan, and yes. this helps secure your top four spot. Uh, let's quick dwell on our third game here that we have forced ourselves to watch um leads to norwich a 
Norwich languishing. Nice. In last place, head to Ellen Road with hopes of picking up points while Jesse Marsh looks to secure his first win as Leeds manager. And a little addendum here that someone's written. Norwich are going down. They've got no chance. Do we even discuss them? <laughs> Who said this? That was me. Okay. Yeah. So Leeds, like this was like a, this was like a slaughter, like manslaughter. And like Nor- First degree. Norwich like did not have much going for them in this match. And Leeds were just flubbing it on like chance after chance. They had six big chances in this game and they, they messed up on five of them. <laughs> they missed on five. So yeah, it was a, a poor performance in front of goal. Didn't really have the sort of clinicality there. Sorry, five big chances they missed four um, that you would expect. But they certainly racked up the XG, you know, um, and probably should have won this game much more comfortably than it ended up being. But I think in all, it was a super fun game. And it was really open back and forth. Leeds played with a ton of energy, which I guess is what you'd expect from Jesse Marsh team, kind of knowing what we do know about him. Uh, yeah, the, the Red Bull incarnate Jesse Marsh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, a human Red Bull, you know, his body naturally produces it. His pancreas doesn't, you when know, I get cut, process I insulin. It's sugar. Bull. But I mean, this. I think this game basically has everything you want, right? It was a 2-1 scoreline. The uh, first goal came early in the game. Uh, Leeds messed up a bunch of big chances like we talked about. Then McLean comes in uh, and scores a 90th minute equalizer. And you're like, God, Leeds like really like fumbled the bag here on this one. They had the three points in hand. They should have just been walking this match easily, but they, you know, let Norwich back into it. And then Joe Gelhart gets subbed on in the 90th minute. And would you believe it, Jacob? Would you believe it? Would you believe it? Would you believe it, Maddie? No. Okay. Lead score. <laughs> Lead score. Lead score, Maddie. You're okay. You know, if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. Leads are just fun to watch, and this continues on even after uh, Marcel Bielsa has left. Obviously, as a newly inducted Americanized Leeds fan, we are rooting for a successful American manager, so we really hope Leeds stay up. I mean, obviously, a massive match for Leeds. They get the three points, which they fully deserved. They're now on 26 points, sitting at 16th. They've played 29 matches. Everton still have three games in hand on them and sit four points behind them at 17th. So taking all three points is really big for the program, as they say. On the flip side, Norwich stunk up the place. They didn't look great. <laughs> they suffered under Leeds pressure, lost the ball in bad places. Um, they were dispossessed easily, and they should have lost by like five goals. That's all we got on them. The numbers don't really reflect how many chances Norwich gave Leeds to score a goal. And at this point, the amount of chances they Norwich created for Leeds uh, speaks of a fundamental issue with uh, Norwich trying to stay up. They simply don't have the quality as we suspected they might not have at the beginning of the season. And so if it's at that stage of survival, it really is on leads uh, for not winning by more. If they want to be a quality team, they should have uh, thumped Norwich with the amount of chances they had. Instead, it was a last-minute winner that gave them a lifeline. So, I mean, I think, Blair, you said it best at the comment. Why even talk about Norwich? Well, let's just talk about 
uh, source of goals, and then we can put them to bed because I don't think they're staying up. So Puki has eight goals this season. Uh, Timu Puki on a, a, a Norway international, I think. Finland. Uh, Thank you. Finland, Finnish international, and Scandinavian, whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's all the same, Jacob, right? It's just a different cross, right? One's blue, one's red. They're both... Does I'm going to shut up. Uh, very distinct cultures, very nice people, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Mom's very proud of her Finnish heritage. healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if anybody wants to marry me for one of those countries. Yeah. Which one, which uh, country was Midsummer set in? Because that's what I'm... Sweden. Uh, is it? I think so. I think so. Okay. Well, we just don't go to Sweden then. That that movie messed me up. Timu Puki has eight goals this season so far. Uh, Josh Josh Sargent. You cannot say Josh. I can't. You no, you said Josh Sargent every single time. Well, it's said because it. if it was if it was like any other letter but Sargent, like if that if that wasn't Sar, I think if it wasn't that word, I because would you say, say Josh. Josh Sweden. Uh, no, no. I know it's just the Josh sh, and then the, then the, the sh, and then the transition to the. Tss just messes up in my brain. Okay. So Josh Sargent, Joshy boy, he is in second place with two goals and then everyone else is littered with one. Uh, Timu Puki has the most combined, um, like as one F1 player and then he has more than the rest of the players combined. It's, um, it's a sad state for sources of goals. There's no obvious uh, chance creator on Norwich. Um, they defend too deep. And they are c- collapse immediately at any sign of a press, as was displayed here. Leeds did their typical press because Jesse Marsh hasn't implemented his style to the letter. Obviously, it was only his second game in charge. Third. Third. So uh, if, if your team is collapsing that easily, I mean, it's a giant, giant red flag. And so what else is there to say other than maybe next, next year? Yeah, exactly. They're going to yo-yo probably and do it all over again. Maybe they'll remedy the midfield. Yeah, but um, it's it. I, I mean, you got to say, you know, hedge your bets. Whatever they're on seventeen points, it's five points from safety. But where are those points going to come from? It's going to be very, very difficult. I don't see it happening, but it's yeah. possible. I guess they have nine matches left to play. They have lost seven of their last seven matches. Um, yeah, one of them was an FA Cup match. They had a good run. Um, against uh, Everton, okay. Watford, okay. Uh, and they drew to Crystal Palace, and then any other opposition they uh, they lost to. So when you are in a relegation battle, especially if you're in last place like Norwich are, you have to win against the rele- relegation candidates, and they did. They won against Everton. They won against Watford. Um, <laughs> Everton. Uh, but if you're going to get out, you also have to get points against unlikely contenders. They got one point against Crystal Palace. They got, they lost to Brentford. They lost to Leeds. Uh, that's, they lost to Southampton. They have to bring points from elsewhere. And this is an obvious thing, but it's necessary to point out because that's why they're going down. I mean, we all agree to that, that, right? Maddie, you've been quiet. Do you have anything to add to this? I mean, I, th- I think we, me and Blair have repeated ourselves multiple times here. They're going down. I'm yelling to You better move. If Norwich added Christian Eriksen, do you think they would have stayed up? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> no? Yes. Okay. What was the question you asked me yesterday, Blair, about <laughs> Romelu Lukaku? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was like if Brentford had signed Romelu Lukaku where they would have finished in the table, right? It was Brentford. Yeah, I so my, I think 
I want to revise this. I said 15th, but I will say a healthy 15th. <laughs> um, they wouldn't, they, at no point would they have been like, oh no, we're going to get 18th. It would have been like, oh yeah, we're sticking 15th. I think Lukaku would have had an okay season and he would have had, obviously with a, when a big player comes in, he's going to have cult status with the team. So uh, he probably would have had cult status with Brentford like Christian Eriksen does now. Yeah. Let's get to the main event here. Mm. Uh, let's get to why you all paid uh, to be here. Uh, Arsenal 2, Leicester 0 at the Emirates. All right, that's our show, folks. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah. Arsenal heading to this home bout with a feisty Leicester. The Gunners, coming off of eight wins in their last ten matches, search for number nine, and with it, a fourth-place position in the table. And Leicester, coming off of a two-game clean sheet win streak. Uh, I will let you two totally take it away. This is where we fight, right? I think so. Okay. I will clear the table, and you can <laughs> wrestle on the table. <laughs> I don't want to wrestle Maddie. I think I would lose. Well, right, because I'm giving Maddie a knife. Yeah. Yeah, she's got the... And I've seen her... My knife skills are good. She's got the whole butterfly knife thing. She can, like, flip it around and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. You come to the wrong neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Soccer, go. Yeah, so Thomas Party in the 11th minute made a run towards the near post on a Martinelli corner. And at first it looked like he was unmarked, but he had men marking him. They just kind of didn't do a great job of it, quite frankly. And he had a pretty free head on the ball and just hit it near post. That was the 12th goal that Lester has conceded from a corner this season, which is a pretty poor track record we've talked about that the worst with them in the, in the past yeah so i mean what does it what accounts for that i know a lot of teams now um big clubs and small have dedicated coaches for set pieces um do you know if lester has somebody like that i have no idea and okay. if we don't that should be our first signing yeah yeah and so I was I was reading because we have injury issues as well, and and a lot of our injury issues are on our defensive end, mm -hmm. which has been a problem all season, on and off again with James Justin who finally came back today. Um, it's been an issue, and we used to have apparently an athletic trainer that was really good about rehabilitation and getting players back and healthy quickly, mm -hmm. and then they left, and I think an athletic uh, trainer, a, a good one that is good at what they do is needed for this kind of team. Obviously. Absolutely. Can I briefly uh, interrupt? Yeah. Let's hear it. I will read a headline from an article from this season. Leicester City already have a set-piece coach, comma, incredibly. All right. Fuck you, Daily Sun or whatever. This is a foxesofleicester.com. So this is a fan uh, site. <sighs> Unbelievably, according to a vague yet intriguing report, Leicester City boss Brendan Rodgers has already appointed a Foxes set-piece coach in three consecutive matches as of four months ago. Uh, <laughs> in three consecutive matches, the current Leicester side has conceded from a corner. In every match, it happened. But do you know what the really scary aspect of this 
A large section of Fox's supporters, including myself, were already petrified of allowing any set pieces to the opposition for months, if not a year, before this contemporary cursed run began. It is a problem, the consistent conceding from corners. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an issue. I mean, you don't want to concede that many goals from corners. I think it, it's bound to happen for a team to concede. But, I mean, like you were getting at with, you know the uh, sort of injury track record with Leicester this year has been really unfortunate. Um, I think I've seen, you know, coaches in the past, Mikel Arteta has said things like, you know, um, and also our uh, women's coach, Jonas Adeville, uh, Jonas Adeville said that some of the most important signings in the off season that you can make as a coach is, you know, really good physios, um, you know, strength and conditioning coaches, and now these set piece coaches. So it seems like it's a part of the modern game. And for this season, it's really plagued Leicester um, and really, really, really hindered them uh, in their defensive performances. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, too, is like you just look at the situation. It's the first corner, right? I mean, uh, Arsenal score in the 11th minute, right? And that instantly changes the tenor of the game. And it makes the job for Leicester more difficult. And after that, you know, I think Arsenal were kind of happy to sit back and invite Leicester onto them. And from about the 20th minute onwards until the end of the half, it was mostly Leicester, in my opinion. I mean, they they had a lot of the, the possession. I think they ended the game with more possession. And, you know, they had some good moments. But I don't know. I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, they, like, the guys didn't seem super concerned. Um and yeah, I just, I wonder, you know, I mean, what you thought of, what, of, what you thought of that, um, you know, time frame in the game. And did you, did you feel like a goal was coming? I did feel like a goal was coming. And I think we had a couple opportunities and it just didn't fall for us or we just played it wrong or to the wrong person or, you know, your defense is really solid. So, or your keeper had a couple of good, decent, uh, you know, hand stretched out saves, but I did feel like after you guys scored, Lester kind of got into the game. They took 10 minutes to warm up into the mindset of playing Arsenal. And that is not, that's not okay. If you are at this level, you can't be taking 10 minutes to be getting into the game when you're playing a team like Arsenal who's going to score off of a set piece because they're good. They have Bukayo Saka, who is fast and just beating the shit out of uh, Luke. Yeah, yeah, Luke Thomas. Luke Thomas. Luke Thomas couldn't keep up with him at all, like the entire game. And so... I feel like I, I, I was excited because after that goal, Lester was like, okay, we're in this game finally. You know, we've got the push we needed to really try something. And then the handball. And I think after the second goal, Lester just kind of said, well, we tried. Yeah, so that second goal came early in the second half. But I do think, I do, I felt like, yeah, in that, in that initial uh, half, in the second half of the first half, the 20th to the 45th minute, I did think Leicester, they looked better. And I think Mikel Arteta, you know, the, the commentators were kind of saying in the game that he seemed frustrated with how far back, you know, our defenders were sitting. Um, and I think we look kind of passive. And that's a, that's a theme with Arsenal, you know, that we've seen in the past. We're kind of getting away from it, but it seems to be creeping back in every now and then where we get kind of passive in games after we take a lead. And 
you know, I think, yeah, Lester created some good moments. There's a James Madison cross that I think, you know, ended up just bouncing across the box. But if somebody had been there, I mean, that was, uh, it was perfectly placed. It was in a spot where Ramsdale didn't feel comfortable coming out. No Arsenal defender was getting to it. So, you know, I mean, there's just nobody on the end of it. Uh, Ramsdale did have a save. I believe it was off a corner. I'm not sure who headed it, but, you know, the, they cut to, um, uh, Brendan Rodgers on the sideline and he had his arms in the air because he's expecting a goal and it was just a nice save from him. Uh, I think Lester maybe um, fans probably aren't too <laughs> happy with the goalkeeping performances from Ramsdale this season because uh, he's made some good saves against them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, re I really rate, you know, Lester's attack and I was kind of worried about it coming in. I don't love Cedric Suarez as a defender. I think he's been okay in this stretch of games where Tomiyasu has been out going forward, he can deliver a ball into the box pretty well from the right back. But I was afraid of Harvey Barnes coming at him. And I, I think I said during the game that if I was Lester, my game plan would have been to attack Cedric Suarez the whole time because he's just not that great of a defender. And you know, it's convenient for Lester because they seem to like to attack down the left. So I think we really could have benefited from Jamie Vardy in this game. Yeah. And there are a lot of games where I'm like, you know, he can come in, he can't, but I think this was one of the games where we really needed that trio of Dewsbury, Hall, Jamie Vardy, and Harvey Barnes. Because I think they work really well against your kind of defense because they pass really well together. Yeah, and you know, in the couple of moments where things started to get kind of hairy for, for Arsenal, it was these quick passages between mm -hmm. Barnes and it seemed like Iheanacho where, you know, what Iheanacho would kind of do is sit on the edge of the defensive line, Barnes would play like a wall pass to him where, you know, uh, Iheanacho would just kind of sit there on someone's hip, play the Barnes would play the pass to him. And then he would try to just dink it um, past him uh, down the line for Barnes to run onto, to keep continuing his run. And, um, you know, that was a, a nice link up for them, but I think Iheanacho, you know, as a, as a striker was kind of, kind of absent in the game. I mean, he only had one shot himself and it was from outside the, the 18 yard box. So he didn't really have a great performance. Um, he was just basically fighting like fist to fist cuffs with your defense. That's yeah. pretty much all he did. He did keep slapping players in the face. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So coming out in the second half, I thought, you know, I mean, uh, the the early goal, I think, you know, and in, in the way that it was conceded with the handball and the penalty given, uh, it really felt like it took the, the wind out of the sails for Leicester. And from then on, it, it just seemed kind of like a, a sort of limpid performance from them. I don't know. What, what did you see from them in the second half? It sucks because the handball really didn't change whether the ball was going to be stopped or not. And so... I think that whole sequence of events and how long it took for everybody to decide that it was a handball and then the eventual PK was enough time for Lester to decide we're not going to be the team that gets two or three goals against Arsenal right now. We don't have the attack. Jamie Vardy is injured. So I think we kind of said we can sit back. We can, you know, if, if, if the opportunity presents itself, we'll break away. But it didn't. And we did. We sat back and saw lots, a lot of shots, a lot of defensive work. They didn't give up, but they gave up trying to attack. Yeah, that, that was kind of my reading, too. I'm going to correct myself. Limpid is not the word I meant to choose. Let's go with limp on this one. Uh, different, wrong grammar. Sorry. Anyway, I agree. We ended up with 21 shots, which is quite Oof. a few 
Um, Arsenal, over the last 10 games, we've had six games of 20-plus shots. Uh, in McCall, McCall Arteta's McCall. McCall Arteta's first 74 games, we achieved uh, as many games with 20-plus shots. So we are certainly on the up when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, just, it seemed like it seemed like it sort of just sputtered and fizzled for Leicester. And I, I kind of wonder just sort of uh, more generally, you know, what are Leicester playing for this season? And we kind of mentioned it during the game, but I mean, what do you think Leicester's ultimate goal now is with the rest of the Premier League season and what they've got left to play for in the Conference League? Well, we're four games behind, so we also have a lot of catching up to do in not a lot of time. We have the Europa Conference League, which I think is our probably should be our main goal at this point. It's really the only thing that we can go for. We can stay up. We're going to stay up. But being top 10 really wouldn't do much for us besides maybe a morale boost. So I think Europea, uh, the Europa Conference League would be really, really nice to go for and trying to get healthy. I agree. I mean, it seems like trying to play for, I mean, a trophy, of course, but also maybe trying to sneak into a European position kind of through the back door if you will mm-hmm. would be good for Leicester but it seems like I mean I, I remember last year Arsenal season it was kind of going similarly for a lot of the season I mean we were kind of languishing we were sitting around mid-table when we finished in eighth and the the end of the season I mean we strung together you know five or six wins um, and things were kind of on the up and I, I don't know I mean I just sort of wonder riding that if there's really any effect for the team going into the season or if that's just kind of a flash in the pan sort of thing but it does seem like if you can you know string together some good performances um, you know finish as high as you can in the table maybe get some younger players uh, minutes in their legs and you know some experience playing in the prem that's what I would be shooting for if I was Lester. I think it does have an effect on the team overall plus it makes you kind of look at, oh, well, where are the areas, you know, we finished really strong. Where are the areas that we could be stronger and kind of make more informed signings instead of, wow, we really sucked these last five games and we don't know what we want because we don't know what we have kind of deal. (laughs) So Arsenal's upcoming fixtures, we've got Liverpool at home, Aston Villa away and Crystal Palace away. How many points do they take? I'm going to say four. But I'd like to see six, and a dream scenario would be seven. Um, oh, baby. I don't see you us beat beating Liverpool. Liverpool. Oh, okay. No, I don't see us beating Liverpool. I don't see us taking points, uh, quite honestly. Um, Liverpool, I think, is still the best team in Europe. Uh, I think the numbers basically confirm that. And table position doesn't tell the whole story with that team. So, yeah, I think they're probably going to beat us. And we've <laughs> had some tough games against them uh, in the our most recent um, bouts. Villa are tough and it's away. Crystal Palace are also tough and it's away. I can see us maybe getting a win at one of those, but I think we might, we might, you know, slip up uh, in one of those two. So I'm going to, I'm going to rate us for a win in one and a, and a draw in, in another, but I don't, I won't say which, cause I don't really know. Maybe we beat Palace and tie with Villa, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. I think if we get through those with, you know, four to six points, I'd be pretty happy with that. What do you guys think? I see Aston Villa is tough. Aston Villa is a tough one. Uh, I think they have the capability to tie pretty much any team. And so I would be hesitant as a fan of really anything to say I have Aston Villa in the bag. Crystal Palace, 
are on a bit of a downward spiral. I think Arsenal can safely be Crystal Palace. I will let my own biases speak for themselves. I want Liverpool to smash Arsenal. I'd want to leave no room for questions um, because Liverpool have to pretty much be perfect for the rest of this season if uh, any title hopes are going to be present. So, uh, yeah, I mean... Friendliness aside, I hope Arsenal take max three points. Okay. But they'll probably take six. Sorry, I should have said. They, they will probably beat Astonville. They will probably be Crystal Palace. Uh, I don't think they'll beat Liverpool. But that's obviously up for debate. Okay. Any uh, last thoughts on Leicester, Maddie? No, I'm just sad. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> uh, good, 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 really good stuff, guys. Um, Thanks, Dad. Okay, let's break into our last segment. Jacob, yeah. Roman Abramovich on his Facebook page this week <laughs> changed his relationship status from in a relationship to it's complicated <laughs> to <laughs> single and ready to mingle. <laughs> so 30, 30, and five. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so we are late to the news here. All of the major networks, major podcasts, major journalists have broke this earlier because they, they that's their job. These We have daytime jobs, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Chelsea have been sanctioned. Chelsea and by extension, Roman Abramovich have been sanctioned by the UK government. Um, sorry, the English government. And uh, they, uh, Bars have been clapped upon their wrists. Roman Abramovich has not only been slapped on the wrist, but has been ousted, essentially, by the government. Um, he is no longer in charge. He has been forced to intend to sell the club at a future uh, date to be determined, but no doubt soon. And Chelsea are in a bit of a uh, administrative freeze. So... Uh, if you have been living under a rock, which is also underneath a bigger rock, uh, Chelsea is owned by Roman Abramovich, Russian oligarch and known associate of Vladimir Putin. Given the recent events uh, of the war in Ukraine, uh, Russian oligarchs around the world have been being uh, picked off one by one in an effort to curb Russia's enthusiasm for death. So uh, Roman Abramovich being the owner and, uh, I mean, the, the driving force behind Chelsea's recent success has been forced to sell the club. Um, Chelsea will probably be sold in the summer to a buyer. And uh, all future revenues for Chelsea have been halted. What does this mean? This means that uh, the shop, the store, uh, sells jerseys, sells memorabilia, sells whatever you want, has been uh, taken down. You cannot go to uh, ChelseaFC.com and buy anything. You cannot go to their stadium. You cannot request a tour. You cannot go to any uh, physical locations and buy jerseys. Um, and the club cannot uh, make a revenue in any sense of the word. They are allowed to take TV rights, because that's already been established, uh, like any uh, match day uh, streaming from the big networks, that's already theirs. They can use that, and they can take any revenue, portions of revenue they can from match day earnings, like season ticket holders and season um, game attendees that have already bought their tickets. They cannot sell any future tickets. 
So they can use this money to only pay their players and their staff. The salaries, the, the, the large salaries of their star players obviously need to be paid. The staff obviously needs to be paid uh, just because um, Roman Abramovich has questionable ties to uh, Russia. Does it mean that the guy that works as a, a staffer shouldn't have a salary? What else? They have a price limit on game day uh, expenses. This includes uh, player transport. This includes player luxuries like first-class hotels or uh, extra staff to accompany them to games like professional masseuses or chefs. Home game matches are limited to 500,000 pounds. Away matches are limited to 20,000. What does this mean specifically? Players probably can't fly first class as a team to a game. They have to take a bus or train like most other Premier League or lower league teams. Uh, they cannot simply purchase a floor of an entire hotel. They probably have to bunk together in a Motel 6. They'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> exactly. So the the luxury and the, the, the first classness of it all at Chelsea has now been uh, definitely hit. Um, players cannot be re-signed. New players cannot be signed. Um, certain players are on the last years of their contract. This includes uh, captain Cesar Aspilicueta, defensive player Andreas Christensen, and center back Antonio Rudiger. And this also includes all of the current Chelsea women's team members that are on the last years of their contracts. There, there are more of them. There are six of them. And so this will be thrown into a bit of a question mark. We know Andreas Christensen has strong links to Barcelona currently. Antonio Rudiger has floated the idea of going literally anywhere else. And I think Aspie wanted to sign, re-sign with Chelsea, but now we'll see. In terms of the status of the club, the club is still viewed as a cultural symbol, a cultural symbol by uh, the England government. So there are still play matches. They're still in a, t- a top four race. So they're still playing. Um, their shirt branding is no longer a thing. I don't know how they're going to work this out. Um, specifically, they have to somehow get rid of the three, you know, the financial group that is sponsored on their shirts off of them because they've rescinded their sponsorship and now their academy their uh at this point iconic academy that has the reach of uh, a small army is most likely been halted they can't they cannot they can no longer rely on developing talent and rely on selling these players for an additional stream of revenue so Uh, We will see whether or not the academy falls into disarray because they can't really operate it. Uh, They cannot bring in any more players. They cannot sell the players. They can only keep the players they have, and there are many players. And so I don't know what is happening with the current academy prospects that are out on loan. It is really all up in the air, and I say that because nobody really knows. The laws and the current standing of the sanctions are still in a phase of evolution and a phase of uh, interpretation. That is my spiel on uh, CFC because this is a uh, this is an unprecedented point in time for a club the size of uh, Chelsea. It was bought for around 150 million pounds by Roman Abramovich, and it's uh, inflated to I think a multi-billion dollar team. And now its future is in question. It will no longer be funded by a giant billionaire. It might be funded by a owner like Mike Ashley, God forbid. And so. <laughs> It's it's a it's a j- big question mark on the players. It's a big question mark on the future of the club. It's a big question mark on the legacy of recently uh, the most domineering London team in the Premier League. Rumor has it that their weekly salary, their wage bill is thirty million pounds. I believe that. 
they have a, yeah, like you said, a mercenary army of loanies and that has to add up. It's gotta be pretty expensive just by sheer volume. Yeah. They have a lot of expenses. I think Chelsea are like going to be fine in the sense that like, they're not going to go insolvent or like get like a nine point deduction for like, yeah, being put into administration or something like this. It just feels like a too big to fail thing. I don't think that the, the, the government really has an incentive to like let Chelsea like really feel the pain because obviously that'll affect like a pretty large constituency, um, within their own country. Um, and I just think that they probably just like, won't let that happen. Um, Chelsea, like you said, is also kind of a cultural touchstone for, for the country and, you know, around the world. I mean, it's a huge global brand. Now there's tons of fans who, you know, tune in to watch or make trips to London to see games. And there comes with all that, the attendant revenues and whatnots of, uh, you know, people coming in from all over the world. So I think it's just kind of one of those things where like, you just like won't let that collapse. Um, there'll be some safety net that the the government steps in with um, if a sale isn't facilitated uh, as quickly as is needed. So yeah, I think, you know, I mean, like the club in the near term, I think are probably going to be fine. It's going to be weird for them. Maybe you'll see it on the, on the pitch. I mean, they sort of struggled, I guess, um, today. We didn't watch the game against Newcastle. So, you know, maybe not staying at the, the, the Ritz-Carlton or whatever is going to affect how they play but you know as far as like the club and you know its financial situation it seems precarious but i think it'll largely be okay i think maybe it's kind of overblown so that's my take on things i i i think it's fun to to uh sort of dance on the grave if you will um of the situation i don't have any love loss with chelsea they are they are who they are they have a very notorious reputation with their fans and yeah i mean that's just uh, it's just what it is. So that's my that's my read on it. I I disagree with you on one point, Blair. What's your? Uh, I think the idea of too big to fail is a dangerous uh, mindset, especially for a club like Chelsea. That's his whole point. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I think as an owner that is an administrator for a soccer club or a football club, you can do a lot worse than Roman Abramovich. A lot worse. Uh, he's a very very good caretaker uh, in only a sporting sense. Um, and I, that's all I'm speaking to. I'm not saying that they're too big to fail in the sense that like Roman Abramovich could have spent them into the ground like Alisher Ismanov is doing at Everton. I'm saying that the government is going to ensure that the sort of state of the club that they took it over in, they didn't take it over, they didn't seize mm-hmm. it, they froze it, mm-hmm. is going to at least stay at roughly the same mm-hmm. as it is. They're not going to spend 100 million pounds in the summer to buy a player or something. But right. like they're not going to like make sure that Chelsea go down to the championship. I think they're going to stay it's, in the Premier League. They're going to be fine. That I do agree. I think for Chelsea fans, though, staying up isn't the concern. <laughs> it's continuing to stay at the status they're currently at, which yeah. is a winning club. And I hope they don't get that. <laughs> and not for sporting reasons. <laughs> yeah, for personal reasons. For personal reasons. It's a personal vendetta. Yeah. I think most people that are fans of the Premier League don't like Chelsea because they're dicks. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, Chelsea are very successful. They have a very well-run club. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, they did have a very well-run club, and they have trophies to show for it, uh, one of the which is last year's Champions League. So um, it's not, um, you know, uh, 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 smearing their name aside. My opinion, 
this is my opinion, they're the reflection of me as an individual. Roman Abramovich has largely had a friendly relationship with London and has done good for the London community. He holds his team up to a high standard. He has given back. He has brought Chelsea success, and he has held good standing with the fan base. His friendliness with Putin in the current climate is obviously intolerable, but two differing actions can be held separate. One, with the sporting sense, and other, with the worldly sense. Football and world politics have always been intertwined, and thus there's no reason Abramovich's standing as a moral owner can't be intertwined either. He is a solid caretaker of the club who associates with someone that has done indisputably evil things. He must go, but that's not to say his time at Chelsea wasn't successful, as trivial as that may seem. He has done good things for Chelsea. He is also probably um, a despisable human being. It's a microcosm of just people in general. Uh, I am with Blair. I think the UK government, um, I misinterpreted what you said earlier, will not let them fall into relegation. Um, they won't hit them with a 20-point deduction. They won't do what Syria did to Juventus when they were found out about cheating because this is a totally separate situation outside of the club's control. We'll see where they go in the summer because this will be something we have to follow. Uh, this is totally unprecedented for me personally, and I think for everyone. So, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, right? I mean, because I think, you know, Roman Abramovich leaving, like, the amount of money he's poured into the club, the club still owes him a billion and a half pounds uh, for the, the loans he's, you know, put in over the years to buy players and churn through coaches and what you know stadium renovations whatever else there's there's that aspect to it but there are a lot of rich people in the world there are less rich people in the world that can afford soccer teams of this size and there are even less who can do it at the way in the same way that abramovich can and so you know chelsea probably fundamentally will change its complexion as a soccer club going forward. I don't see another kind of person who's going to pour in as much money as Abramovich has done. Um, and it's for, I think, a very obvious purpose. You know, when you have people defending Abramovich, it's because of the money he spent and the trophies they've won at the end of the day. I mean, if you're a Chelsea fan, that's a defending Abramovich. That's what he's paying for. So I don't see, you know, the, the, there's some names that have been out there. Woody Johnson, who owns the Jets, which would be a hilarious purchase um, if he made it because the Jets are one of the worst run franchises in the United States and one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. Um, has shown some interest in the club. There's this consortium with this Swiss billionaire and some other guy who is like the CEO of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association or something who have shown interest. And I think these guys are going to be run-of-the-mill billionaire rich guys, which means that Chelsea will still have a lot of money. But I don't think yeah. at the end of the day, they're going to be spending a hundred million pounds on a single player summer after summer after summer. That's going to change. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them and the competitive balance in the league. It is hard to state how crazy Chelsea's difference in step was when Abramovich brought the, bought the club. Yeah. That was 19 years ago. It was the first summer of its kind where a billionaire took charge and then proceeded to blow the spending records out of the water. Um, he signed uh, 121.3 million pounds of players his first summer. Which is a lot for that, that time that frame. That was 19 years ago. That was 2003. Yeah, it would be a lot even it now. It was <laughs> insane. And uh, 
that was, I mean, in my opinion, part this is this is a passion of Roman Abramovich's. So this isn't something he necessarily treats like a business. He's written off the debts Chelsea owe him. He's given Chelsea money, and now he's written it off. Um, so I think he leaves with he leaves with goodwill towards Chelsea. So geopolitically, it's crazy. Uh, in a sporting sense, it's crazy. Life is just a batshit roller coaster ride that I'm. I just can't get off uh, of. First, did you did you see? Oh my god! <laughs> did you see uh, Klopp's comments about? I I no, I saw. Um, no, I haven't seen. I don't know what Klopp said. Okay, let me find it. I want to get your opinion on it. That uh, that came off dark. I meant it as really I meant it as like a life is insane. It, there's always a bunch of twists and turns. I am fine. Mm-hmm. We're fine. <laughs> life is a highway and I can't You're get fine. off of You're it. fine. Just don't tell mom. I didn't even hit you. <laughs> You're fine. So in a, I don't know, pregame or postgame press conference, the reporters were asking Klopp about, you know, the situation with Abramovich. And I don't know necessarily what the question was, but this is what his response was. I don't think it's really fair to ask me. You've been in this country much longer than me, Klopp said in a pre-match press conference. Did you care when Roman Abramovich came to the country? Did anyone really care when Newcastle got taken over? Do supporters really care? Well, that's good questions, Klopp. Um, I mean, that's that's valid. As, as observers from uh, across the Atlantic Ocean, we have much less cultural context uh, and much less intuitive context to the sorts of things that these billionaire owners have come in. We live in the United States where all of the teams are corporations. Yes. Um, they are owned by the, the financial and political elite, and they are run like a business trying to act in a capitalistic sense, um, trying to keep the poor down. So, um, obviously an American lens is fundamentally different than an English lens. And so, uh, whatever we say will be taken in that, in that context, um, no matter what. So, uh, obviously Klopp has, that, I mean, that, that was a good point. Um, he's a German coach coaching a English team owned by an American, um, conglomerate. So it's just, yeah, it's just a weird situation. Yep, that's that's world football. He he finished the quote by saying, "It's not Chelsea's fault, not at all. In the end, owners are there to lead the club and give financial resources. I think it's a good idea to think about where the money is coming from." Yep. I think what he's what he's really getting at there, though, and uh, you know, the sports media kind of asking him what his take is on things is interesting because, you know, like he said, I mean, he's been in he's been in Liverpool for six years, I think now, um, and so. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the league's been around a lot longer than this, or Brownovich has been around a lot longer than this. He was here for the, the Saudi takeover. And I think a, a legitimate question is, what is the difference between what you know Russia's doing in Ukraine and Brownovich's ties to it and what Saudi's doing in Yemen? It, it, yeah. I don't understand what the difference is. And so it's like, is this a risk for Saudi Arabia and PIF and, and Newcastle? Because it doesn't seem to be drawing the same kind of attention. Uh, it, that's it's a, it's a hypothetical i mean you it's can't complicated you can't answer the question no. but i think it's like a legitimate point it's like yeah it you should be looking at where the money is coming from i mean obviously manchester city and newcastle are obvious um yes obvious <laughs> offenders to this and the clear double standard we are currently giving for the ownership 
and for the location of the next World Cup <sighs> yeah. is totally a valid question to bring up because it deserves a discussion. And people have been discussing it, just not the ones that matter. So it's, uh, and I also extend that to um, the, I believe, Chinese ownership of Wolverhampton. Um, it's all it's all up there. I mean, like, if you just dig deep enough, you will see, oh, this is kind of Im- uh, Im- immoral. Yeah, and I think, I just think that the, it's the the government, you know, like, our government does this, and the, the British government is certainly yeah. not alienate to it, but they're certainly okay with the money coming in yeah. until something like this happens, and then suddenly there's a very uh, distinct uh, hypocrisy at play. And so, you know, dirty money has existed for a long time, yep. and it's time that we think about our relationships to it. I think uh, English, you know, Scottish, or like UK sports fans and American sports fans share a... Um, a quality in that they have an inherent cynicism of who their teams, uh, their owners are. Yeah. I mean, who, the Fords fucking suck they speak. at owning the lions <laughs> as a Lions sports fan. Uh, we've needed reform in a sporting sense <laughs> yes. for a long, long time. The only assembly line that's worth that, that the lions are on is taking them, taking them down the losing trail <laughs> um, i will we will end this podcast um with uh um on a bright note um did you guys know that fb ref tracks not megs no i i heard this i heard i heard this um yeah go go for it Jacob. It's, a, it's it's a new stat that okay. they've added and they track nutmegs uh throughout uh, the league who is leading the Premier League in nutmegs? Blair, if you know this, don't say it. Team or player? Player. Is it Harry Maguire? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Getting nutmegged or nutmegging They people? are the nutmegger, not the nutmeg E. <laughs> okay, then definitely not Harry Maguire. Nutmegger. Ivan Tony. Okay. Okay, I'm going to just say Michael Elise, even though I don't think he's okay, playing well, on you're games. both. Couldn't be more wrong. Uh, yeah. You're yeah, both dumb. No, it is Emmanuel Dennis of oh, Watford. Yes. Oh, 17 so nutmegs this season. It's an art. Um, a close second would be um, Rodrigo at Leeds. Oh. 14. Jaden Sancho with 14. Hmm. Francisco hmm. Trincao at Wolves with 13. And then a sharp drop off to Wilfried Zaha with eight. Uh, Wilf, yes. Um, Willifred. So it is a cool, fun statistic that I will now be tracking because it is the funnest statistic of all the statistics. Nutmegs. That and rainbow goals. Can I assign you homework, Jacob? Sure. Can you tell me the player who's taken the most shots without scoring a goal this season? <sighs> um, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's, no, I don't know. Um, shots without goals? Without, like, not a single haven't goal? Scored a goal? Haven't scored a single goal. Uh, I could do that. Oh my god! A shots on target. I think total shots. I'll take total shots. Mm, shots on target would be interesting too. I mean, maybe we'll have two questions. You're a bastard. <laughs> do you know? No, I have no idea. I'm okay. just curious. Um, you will see us next week. Can you hang on one second, Maddie? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you will see us next week with another round of Premier League action, and uh, I believe the week after will be the final 
international break, which we're all very excited for. Mm. Um, Maddie, where can you find us on social media? You can find us on Instagram at the Plastics Pod. You think we would know this by now? You they're would... all different. You can find us on YouTube at the Plastics Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Blair. The Plastics Pod. The oh. Plastics Pod. Okay, on Instagram, it's the Plastics Podcast. <laughs> You said, I've got the, it. you said the. Right. If you Google. If at you Google, Plastics Podcast, Homebrays. If you look it up, yeah. it's at the Plastics Podcast. If you. if Or you. you just look it up, man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That's great. Please follow us. Please subscribe. Please smash that like button. Please comment. Please ask us questions. Um, and that is all from me, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. Blair Lacrosse. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. I'm Jacob, and uh, this is the Plastics Podcast. Come back next week for more sick content.